Or Habakkuk chapter 2. Lord, thank you for this time. And Lord, as Joseph just sang and prayed, we are so thankful that we can come to you. That we can take your hand. That you hold us close. And Lord, that's our heart's desire even tonight. As we would gather here in this place. To draw near to you that you might draw near to us. Bless this time in your word now. Minister to our hearts. In Jesus name. Amen. We saw in our last study here in the book of Habakkuk. How this prophet was first of all in chapter one. He was wrestling with God's will. Wrestling with why the people of Israel were not being judged. Wondering what God was doing. And then God gave him a little inclination of what he was going to do. How he was going to bring the Babylonians in to be his instrument of judgment upon his people. And and then Habakkuk really started to wrestle. Lord, how can you use those guys? How can they be instruments of judgment? They're worse than we are. And, and he, we found him last week as we started chapter 2 in that place of just needing direction, needing vision, needing understanding. And he, he did the right thing. He went up into the prayer tower to wait and to watch. And it was there that the Lord gave to him vision, direction. And that's what the rest of chapter 2 is really about. But as the Lord gives him this vision... Concerning what he's going to do and how the Babylonians who are coming are going to be brought down because of their pride. Because of them being lifted up with themselves. And we'll look at that part of the vision next week. As we will talk about Nebuchadnezzar and and just what happened to him and what happened to his empire. But in the very beginning of this revelation that Habakkuk is given from the Lord, he, he's given here a powerful word from God concerning how he was to live. But it wasn't just a word for this prophet living a long time ago, but it was also one for every single one of us who would desire to walk with God. Let's pick it up in verse 4. The Lord says, Behold the proud, speaking here of the Babylonians, and specifically of Nebuchadnezzar, their king. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's where we're going to stop tonight. This one verse, powerful verse. The Lord comes here to Habakkuk and he says, the proud, hey, he's, he, behold the proud. He, his soul is not upright within, within him, but, but Habakkuk, you, you, the just, shall live by his faith. And the point that God is seeking to get across here to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I don't want you to be living by your feelings I don't want you to be living by your emotions. I don't want you to be living by what you can see that I am doing or by what you can understand. But Habakkuk, I want you to be a man who lives by faith, who lives by faith in me. That's how I want you to live. You know, people today are concerned about living. 
Quality of life is something that everyone is concerned about. Quality of life is something that is considered in most decisions that we make. Where you choose to live is oftentimes, a big part of that is, is you're, taking, you're factoring in what's going to be the quality of my family's life as we move into this neighborhood. Where you work, you consider the, that that is on your mind, the quality of life when you are going to a job interview, where your kids go to school, in the, the midst of, of all or everything that you have a choice in, you are considering how is this going to affect my quality of life. There are seminars today where they talk about how to improve your quality of life. How to get the most out of living. It is something that people are interested in. They're concerned about. I remember an old Peanuts comic strip where Lucy is talking to Charlie Brown about the meaning of life, about living. And she says to him, big philosopher that she was, you know, Charlie, life is kind of like a deck chair. And some people place their deck chair where they can see where they're going. Other people place their deck chair where they can see where they've been. Some people, they place their their deck chair where they can see where they're at in the present. And Charlie's listening to all this and he says to Lucy, I can't even get my deck chair opened. (laughs) And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like just, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going. I, I, don't, I don't have a good, clear, you know, look on, on where I'm supposed to be going and what is happening. And, and as we look at our lives, you know, so much of our, our lives are wasted. And we really can't avoid that, though. Do you know that the average person today who lives to be 70 years old will spend 20 years of his life sleeping? 20 years sleeping. That person will spend six years eating. Now for the guys, it's more like eight. But they spend that time. They'll spend five years getting dressed. Now for the women, it's longer than that. (laughs) My wife, I can pick on her. She's not here tonight, but it wouldn't matter. But, uh, I don't know if she's the only woman who does this, but I can always tell when she's had a a bad Sunday morning. Because when I come home, I find like outfits all over the bed, you know. And obviously she's tried one on and didn't like that and took it off and, and she throws it down there, you know, on the bed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I try on something, I, ah, I just don't like the way that that looks. I, I hang it back up. You know? I put it back in the closet. Now, I don't know if I'm weird. Am I the only person that does that? But, you know, but she just throws it on the bed. And so I'll come home and it's like, oh, you know, I had a hard time figuring out what you were going to wear this morning. huh? Does, does anybody else do that? You're not going to raise your hands. You know? but, uh, but, you know, we'll spend five years getting dressed. Two years talking on the phone. Now, again, for the ladies, it's longer than that for most. We'll spend five months tying our shoes. Now, no wonder. 
A person lives to 70. I mean, that's, as they, if you add up the time that they're going to spend doing all of those things, that's what it equates to. And no wonder people feel like they're not accomplishing anything, that they're not really living. Well, here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk is told the key to living. It's found in this simple phrase, the just shall live by faith. Now, that is a statement that really is at the, the foundation. It's at the core of our Christian faith. It's a statement that is found three times in the New Testament. Paul used it to form the foundation of his two most important epistles, the epistle to the Galatians and the epistle to the Romans. And the writer of Hebrews also quotes this passage in talking about faith. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, he gives this quote that the just are those who will live by faith. Now, in the book of Romans, when Paul talks about or quotes this verse from Habakkuk, his emphasis is on the just and how one is justified. In the, the book of Hebrews, there in chapter 10, the emphasis is on faith. It's on having faith in the Lord. And in the book of Galatians, the emphasis is on the word live. It's on uh, uh, living. And what I want us to do in the rest of our time this, this evening is to consider these verses, starting with the one in, there in Romans. So if you would turn with me, turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll not turn to all of these, but... In Romans chapter 1, Paul is spending his time talking about righteousness. And he's talking about how there are two means of righteousness, that there is a righteousness that comes from keeping the law. The problem is no one is successful in consistently accomplishing that, following or keeping the law of God. So then Paul starts to talk about a righteousness that that is apart from the law. That comes from God, that is embraced by faith. And Paul makes the statement here in Romans chapter 1, in verse 17. He says, for in it, speaking of the gospel, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, in Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn over there to verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul makes a very profound statement here when he says that we've been justified, how? By faith. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Well, a common definition of that word justified or justification means just as if you never sinned. And that's a good definition, but it's not the best. We really need to expand upon that definition to really understand this truth of of justification and what it really means to us that we have been justified. You see, the word justification in in the Greek is a term of jurisprudence. It's a, a, a legal term, in other words, and it means more than a judge simply declaring that you have been forgiven. What it means is this, is the judge looks at you And he declares, you're righteous. You are righteous. 
You are right on. You see, when the judge hits the gavel and says, this man is guilty, but we're going to put him on probation. That's not justification. Nor is it when the the judge hits the gavel and, and he says, this man has been found guilty, but I'm going to let him off the hook this time. I'm going to just give him a warning. That's not justification. But when the judge hits the gavel and says, this man has never sinned and all of the charges brought up against him are untrue, that is justification. You are declared righteous. Now, here's the thing. If the judge puts me on probation or if the judge lets me off the hook with just a warning, I can walk out of the courtroom and I'm happy, but but I'm also kind of ashamed because I know that I blew it. And I know others know that I blew it. They know that I was wrong, that I was caught. And so I walk out and I'm happy that I'm not going to jail, but I'm also kind of ashamed because, you know, my, my sin, my crime has been exposed to everyone and, and people know what I've done. And I know that I deserve to be punished. But if I, if the judge declares me righteous, if he says this, he's right on, The charges against him are untrue. They're unfounded. I walk out of the courtroom with my head held high. I am declared righteous. I'm declared right on. Well, listen, in Christ, we are more than just forgiven. I want you to hear this. In Christ, we are more than just forgiven. We have been justified. God looks at you. He looks at me in Christ and he says, you are righteous. You are right on in my sight. But wait, you say, but I am guilty. I have sinned. I have blown it. So shouldn't I feel ashamed? Shouldn't I, you know, walk out with just, gosh, I know I deserve so much, you know, worse. No. You see, this is the beauty of this doctrine of justification. Is that in God's eyes, he looks at you and he sees you in his son. And he looks at you and he realizes that Christ paid the price for your sins. That your sins were transferred to him. But not only that, the Bible says that his righteousness has also been transferred to you. He took on your sin and you get to put on his righteousness. And so when God looks at you, he sees you there in his son and he declares you as being righteous. And it's just as if you never sinned in his eyes. That's the way that he sees it. It's just as if you've never sinned. Those sins that you committed, that you were guilty of, he forgave them and he forgot them. He put them out of his remembrance and he put them as far as the east is from the west. It's an amazing reality. And so we get to walk out of the courtroom with our head held high, knowing that God receives us, that God looks at us, that God looks at you and I. He declares us as being righteous, not because of who we are, but because of where we're at. 
Because we've been placed there in his son. Now, that truth, that's what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans when he declares, the just shall live by faith. His emphasis is on the just and how we become just. It's through that work of Jesus Christ and are embracing that truth through faith. Now, the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 is on faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, kind of leads us into Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. And in that chapter, it, it, it kind of mentions there the exploits of men and women who lived with reckless abandonment because they believed in the word of God. They, they lived with reckless abandonment. They did wonderful and powerful things because of their faith in God, because they were trusting in the Lord. And so we embrace this wonderful doctrine, this awesome truth that God looks at us and he sees us in his son. He declares us righteous, that that's how he views us here tonight. And we embrace that by faith. We grab a hold of that by faith and our faith is built on facts. It's built on the the fact of the faithfulness of God. It's built on the fact of the power of God and the promise of God. It's like the the elderly lady that was in the hospital and her pastor came to visit her. And as she was laying there in bed and, and her Bible was there next to her bedside and she said to the pastor, can you read to me? And he took the Bible and he began to read. And he noticed as he did that, that, that by certain scriptures there was a T and by some of them there was a, a T and a P. And, and, and finally after a little while he says, you know, I, I noticed you have all these little markings, these T's and these T's and P's there in your Bible. And I just was curious, what do they mean? And she said, well, all of those are promises of God. And when I read a promise of God, I I immediately I want to apply it to my life. And so I write next to that verse a, a T for tried or tested. And then when I find that promise to be true and God's faithfulness to, 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 to be manifested in my life, then I put a P next to it for proven, tried and proven. And that's that's what faith is. We embrace the word of God. We embrace the promise of God. And we seek to live in that and walk in that. And and we're living and walking there by faith. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe in the work of Christ? If you do, God looks at you tonight and he says of you, you are just. By simply embracing, by simply just saying, you know what? I know there's nothing that I can do, but it's all what Christ did for me. And you embrace that by faith. You put your trust in the promise of God, in the word of God, in the faithfulness of God. And God says, you are just. You are righteous. The Bible, Paul talks about in Romans that that Abraham was declared righteous by faith. Simply by faith. He he believed in the promise of God. He embraced the word of God. And so God declares that in his eyes, you are righteous. Now, here's the question, though. Do you live in that truth? Do you live in that truth? Do you go through the day believing that God, as he looks at you, says, you're righteous. You are right on. You see, that's the emphasis in the book of Galatians. Turn over to Galatians, a couple books to the right. Chapter 3. 
In the book of Galatians, Paul is contrasting here those who are seeking to live under the law and by keeping the, the, the works of the law. And so he says there in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in, underline this, all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, Paul makes a very profound and powerful statement here. He says, look, if you are going to be one who says, you know, I'm going to live by the law. There are people that, you know, you will meet that I have met. Who, if you ask them, are you going to go to heaven? They'll say, yes, I'm going to heaven. You say, well, why? Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? As you start to go through the Ten Commandments with them, you start to see, well, you know, I haven't kept that, you know, in totality. I haven't kept that, you know, my whole life. I haven't kept those things. Well, notice what Paul says, that that person who seeks to live under the law is cursed because cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. That means that cursed is the person who doesn't consistently, continually, always continue in the works of the law. In keeping the law. We read this morning how James declared that if you break the law in just one little minute thing, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. But notice what Paul also says in verse 11. He says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. And then he quotes the same verse. For the just shall live by faith. Now, here's what's happening in the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at this in in, in in-depth manner on Sunday mornings in just a couple of weeks. But in the book of Galatians, what has happened is the, the, the church in Galatia was birthed. And people were saved and they're walking with the Lord. But then these guys came in that the Bible refers to as the Judaizers. The Judaizers came there into the church after Paul, who started the church, had had gone on his way. And he left the church to the leadership that was there. And these guys came in and and, and the Judaizers were those who came to the believers and said, you know, because the, the believers here in Galatia, they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews for the most part. And so they came to them and they basically were saying, it's great that you've embraced Christ. It's great that you believe in Jesus Christ. But if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be saved, you need to basically become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. A Judaizer today would be one who would, if he was out witnessing, he'd have his Bible, he'd have his track, and he'd have a scalpel with him, you know, that he would come up and say, hey, you know, here's a, a track and talk about Jesus. And here's, you know, uh, let me show you a couple of Bible verses. Now, do you believe that? Yes, that sounds great. Okay, wonderful. There's just a little surgical procedure, you know, that we need to take care of. And that's where these guys were coming from, really. They were coming with this mentality of if you want to really be saved, if you really want to be spiritual, you also need to be circumcised. Now, the basis of that mentality is this. It's stating that your standing with God is totally based upon your actions, your works, and your performance. You see, because we could substitute circumcision for many things. How many hours you pray, how many times you go to church, how much you give in the offering, 
or that you don't listen to certain type of music or you don't watch certain types of, uh, of movies or, or you don't wear, you know, makeup or you don't. I mean, there's all these things that have infiltrated into the church today that are in the very same spirit of these Judaizers there in Galatia that are saying, you know, if you really are going to be spiritual, then you shouldn't do these things and you need to do these things. And it places all of the emphasis of our standing with God upon our actions, our works, and our performance. And that's a frustrating way to live. Ask Martin Luther. In the year 1508, a priest by the name of Martin Luther was living in that type of a mentality. And this young priest was so painfully aware of his sin and his shortcomings that he would whip his body, that he would starve himself almost to death. He would torture himself physically. He would sleep out in the cold. He would crawl for miles on his knees. He would fast for weeks. He would pay indulgences and he would do penance. And he was trying anything to make up for the wickedness that he felt inside because he was very aware of the holiness of God, but he was also aware of his own sinfulness. And so one day in 1508, He was climbing the steps into this large cathedral on his knees in another attempt to make up for his sin. But as he was climbing there, those steps, up to that cathedral, it was there that the verse we read in Romans was just going round and round in his mind. There in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the end of it, it was this very phrase that that he was reading as Paul was talking there about the message of the gospel, that that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the just shall live by faith. And as that last phrase was just going round and round and round in his head, it suddenly hit him, the just, living by faith. Not penance, not religious ritual, not trying to to attain a righteousness through following rules and regulations, not through beating my body, not through sleeping out in the cold. He understood that the Christian experience is not do, 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 but it's done. That Christ declared it is finished. And what Martin Luther understood on that day for the very first time was that Jesus did it all. So it's not my trying to get it together by placing my faith in the excuse me. It's not my trying to get it together by things that I'm going to do, but it's through placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and living my life on the basis of that premise because of what he did for me. I'm just. I have been justified. What he did and the fact that God has placed me in him. That's what makes me righteous. That's what gives me favor in God's eyes. And it was through that revelation that the Reformation movement was birthed. And the church was radically changed. And people who were living in a works-based faith 
People who were trying to earn their way to God. People who were living you know, under the law, even though they had embraced Christ, suddenly began to understand what the New Testament church knew that it wasn't about personal sacrifice. It wasn't about whipping oneself. It wasn't about doing, doing certain things to demonstrate our faith or in God, but that the just would live by faith. What's the application for us? Listen, I have great news for you tonight. You can get rid of the burden of trying to be spiritual. You can get rid of the notion that if you have morning devotions, 10 days in a row, that God owes you a blessing. Or you've earned a blessing from God. You are in God's favor tonight if you are just. How, are you be, how do you become just? Through faith in the work of Christ. Now, does that mean then, am I suggesting or saying that, that you don't have to do morning devotions? No, you don't. Does that mean that, that I don't have to pray? Does that mean that I can sleep in? Yeah. You can. You don't have to pray. You don't have to study the word. You can sleep in if you want to. But listen, you don't have to do any of those things to earn favor with God. You are in right standing with God based solely upon what Jesus Christ did. And the fact that you are in in him. You don't have to do any of those things, but... And please hear me, don't tune out. You get to do those things. It's not that you've got to do those things, but you get to do those things. It's not a have to, but it's a a get to. It's not duty, but it becomes devotion. That every morning you get to. You have the awesome privilege of spending time with the living God. For me, that means I fix my teeth. I get my balance bar. I get my Bible. It's me and God and breakfast together. And I read and I pray and I and I talk there to the Lord. It's a great time. I don't have to do it, but I get to do it. And I enjoy it. Listen, you can get up extra early tomorrow. You can head down to the beach with your board and your Bible And you can spend time with the Lord and then go catch some waves. And that's something that you get to do. It's an awesome privilege because, you see, the father loves it when his children want to spend time with him. He loves that. He's blessed by that. But it's not a got to, it's a get to. And that makes all the difference in the world. For once you are free of the got to's, you invariably will find yourself doing more because it becomes devotion, not duty. James declared in James chapter 2, verse 20, that faith without works is dead. Because you see, true faith always brings about a lot of works. True faith will manifest itself in works. 
but that the works that are being done are are being done out of a heart that is just devoted to the Lord. Think of it in this way. When I fell in love with my wife, no one had to twist my arm to spend time with her. No one had to say, you know, that that gal, Denise, you, you really need to go spend the day with her today. No one had to say that to me. I wanted to see her every single day. And I was bummed if I couldn't. I'm the same way now. Mondays, that's my day off. Our kids are in school. It's a day that we get to spend time together. And if something comes up that interferes with Monday, I, I get bummed. I get grumpy. It's like, I don't get to see you today, you know, kind of a thing. Because I love her so much. And so I want to be with her. I want to do things for her. I don't drag myself on dates with her. I look forward to it. I long for it. And the same thing happens when you understand God's grace and his mercy. You, you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, you bless me. Even when I don't pray. Lord, you love me when I'm not lovable. You take care of me when I fail to walk with you. You're you're faithful to me day by week, by month, by by year. And because of that, Lord, I I want to get to know you better. Because of that, Lord, I I just want to, to learn more about you. Because of that, Lord, I just want to walk with you. I want to spend spend time with you. That's what it means. That's what Paul's emphasizing there in Galatians when he says the just is going to be a person who's living by faith. He's living in that reality that he is declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. And he's going to live in that reality. He's going to go out of his house. You can wake up tomorrow and know God is not mad at you. He's not bummed at you. He's not disappointed with you. He loves you so much. And he's got so much for you. He wants to bless you and have the awesome privilege of being able to come to him, to spend time with him, to receive from him as you do. Oh, it's a glorious truth. It's a wonderful reality. We're just by faith. And the Lord wants us to live in that way. And so this prophet gets this incredible word that ends up being taken and used by Paul as the foundation of two of his most important books. And it's a foundational premise in our faith in Christ, in our relationship with Christ. And I think this truth is one that, man, we can stand upon. It's a truth that we can cling to. It's a truth that, that, that we can rejoice in tonight. And as we go into this ex- extended time of worship in just a moment, I, I really want to encourage you. To use this as a time to celebrate, to exalt the Lord, to relieve yourself of the burden. If you've been putting yourself under this mentality, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to, you know, and in the back of your mind, telling yourself, you know, I've got to prove to God how much I love him. I've got to earn his love for me. It's so easy to fall into that mode. Be relieved from that burden tonight 
to just rejoice and just rest in the reality, in the truth that God looks at you tonight. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, he says you are righteous because you've placed your faith in Christ. And I love you. And it's not based upon your performance, but it's based upon the performance of my son. And I want you to walk in that tonight. I think the Lord wants to free some of you in worship even tonight. Because you come oftentimes into this sanctuary with this mentality. I don't deserve to worship God. I I blew it so much this week. God's probably mad at me. The last thing I want to do is, is, is sing to him. And oftentimes, some of you, you come into this place and that's your mentality. God's not going to receive this. But that's not the case at all. Listen, before we start worship tonight, you and your heart, just take those things and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. And he looks at you and he sees you in his son still. The sins have already, they've been forgiven. And he declares you righteous and he wants nothing more. God loves it when his people rejoice in him. And he loves, he would have nothing better for you tonight than you to just unleash your heart and say, God, thank you. Thank you that I am justified. Walk in that, live in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. For your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your son. That tonight. As we come into this place. We can come as people. As we placed our our faith in the work of your son. That you look at us as righteous. Lord, what an awesome truth. What a wonderful reality that is. And so, Lord, tonight, we want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate the work that you have done. We want to celebrate your righteousness that you've clothed us in. As we lift our hearts, as we lift our hands, as we lift our voices, Lord, we want to just say we love you. Thank you. Bless you, Lord. We exalt you tonight because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.